0: Welcome to Ask Pastor Christian. Hi, my name is Christian Garcia, pastor of Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church in Montrose, Colorado. And this time we are going to do a small tour through the history of the Westminster Assembly, which produce our confessional documents known as the Westminster Standards, consisting of the Confession of Faith and the Catechisms. The first thing we need to do is to explore the historical context of the Westminster Assembly. And for that, we need to examine the political context of the British Isles. Now, it may sound strange that in order to understand a religious confession, we need to look to politics first. But that is simply the way things were back in the 16th and 17th centuries. Church and state were related very closely, and one couldn't get sick without the other suffering from the same cold, so to speak. Our journey in time, then, leads us to King Henry VIII, famous for his many adventures with women and for his divorces and affairs as well. Henry was the instrument used by God to introduce the Reformation in England, believe it or not. In fact, one of his trusted bishops, Cramer would be in charge of developing a whole new organization for the English Church. When Henry died, his son Edward VI took the throne. Under him, the Church of England flourished. Theological giants like Busser and Bermigli occupied important positions in the most important universities of England and set themselves to work in bringing Reformed education to England. Under this period, Cramer crafted a confession of faith called the 42 Articles and the Book of Prayer that was in total conformity with the Reformed theology of continent and the practices of the continental churches. When Edward died, Mary came to power. She started a terrible persecution, and many Reformed theologians fled back to the continent. She brought back the Roman Catholic establishment to England, and there was fear that the Reformation would be over. Providentially, Mary and her bishop died of natural causes five years after her coronation, bringing great relief to the whole nation. Elizabeth was the monarch that followed she was a protestant yet had little tolerance for dissenting opinions her project was to create a church that reflected the character of the english nation that meant a church that was concerned about the inherited traditions more than that meant a church that was concerned about the inherited traditions more than what some dissenting theologians would have liked in other words a church that was neither reformed nor entirely a Roman Catholic, a middle ground, so to speak. Even then, though, there was great harmony, theologically speaking, between the dissenters and the Anglican theologians. Both were Calvinists. Only the more extreme dissenters were persecuted and exiled under Elizabeth. Among those was found John Knox, the Scottish theologian whose book Against the Rule of Women had gained Knox Elizabeth's rejection. Even Calvin affirmed that Knox's book was out of tone and improper. When Elizabeth died without heirs, power was transferred to a different house, the Stuarts. James I was the king of the Scots and also became the king of England. Despite being Scottish and raised Presbyterian, he wasn't in favor of Presbyterianism. He came to the throne favoring Episcopalian government and didn't like the Puritans who had mentioned more than once that maybe a republic was not a bad idea after all. Threatened by these rumors, James decided to enforce unity in the church. Even then, though, when the Synod of Dort called for theologians from England to meet at Dort, every single commissioner was a Calvinistic theologian. In theology... And also, it was very well respected by the Continentals. That was true, by the way, even at home. An Episcopal theologian like Hooker, although widely opposing the Puritans, was at the same time widely respected by the Puritans. It is at this point, the beginning of the 17th century, that we need to close our first episode. I hope I have been able to sketch a very brief yet complex portrait of the politics that gave birth to the assembly some years later. As we will continue exploring this subject, I hope you may realize that easy and well-drawn boxes where we can place historical characters into normally don't make justice to the complexity of what occurred. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you have any questions, don't forget to send them my way to trinityreformedmontrose at gmail.com. Again, trinityreformedmontrose at gmail.com. Until the next time, blessings in Christ.